0: Well, all right, all right. If you are a kid this morning, I'm going to let uh, Mr. Andy and Hallie, uh, Heather, I know, is in the uh, fellowship hall. And if you guys want to go to kids' church this morning, then you guys can, they'll take you there and get you guys connected to the party. Uh, If you're an adult today, uh, you can go if you want, buddy. Yeah, yeah, they'll take you. Uh, if you If you're an adult with you this morning, turn in the scriptures to John chapter 6. We're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning. We've been uh, going verse by verse through this, and we will continue to do so. We're going to take uh, chapter 6 in two weeks, which is a lot of verses to take in, in uh, two weeks, like like uh, 71 verses. And today we're just going to do verses 1 through 21, um, and, and really see that John chapter 6 is kind of a uh, a complex chapter, because it 's seventy one verses, but also um, you see this miracle and this sign, and then on the back side of this you have this sermon of jesus and so uh, it 's pretty cool though, because the way John tells the story uh, this this account that you 're going to see today about feeding the five thousand i mean if you 've had you know any sort of tie on to church you 've heard this story, this account uh, that that transpired where Jesus takes that lawn John Silver's mill that I joked about last week from Mark Horn's truck and said, hey, Mark, uh, get you and another combo and let's go feed 5,000 people. And Jesus does this awesome thing there. Um, we've heard this, we're familiar. However, as we read this account today, here's what you're going to catch. John leaves out good stuff. Like when he tells the story, you're like, hey, John, like, man, I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to say like anything bad about you, brother, but like, man, I mean, Luke, I mean, come on, he just does a good job telling this. And then John, you just like leave out some details. And the point I want to make out of this is that John is making a point and he leaves out things that are not necessary for the point to be made so that the point can be made even more. And this is pretty cool. And we remember, we, we kind of, um, as we, before we read the text, we understand that the authority of Jesus is like slamming into this human autonomy. You know what autonomy is? It's the idea that nobody can make you do what, anything at all because you decide what you're going to do. Our church, for instance, is an autonomous local church. We decide what we're going to do as a church body. There's nobody that governs us or tells us what to do. You know, like, y'all are going to have to, blah, blah, blah. We'd be like, take a hike, man. And if you don't take a hike, Mark will carry you out of here. You know, like you know, there's just like there's that autonomy that um, that 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 exists. And and sometimes we obviously feel this in our lives. We think we know better than God. Now you would never say that. At least I hope you have enough cooth to say that, right? But but we at all times, all of us live that. We assume God's authority for ourselves. The thing I want us to catch though, as we read this text, the thing I think John would want us to see too and hear, is that autonomy, or what you think, does not trump ontology, which is what you are. Let me say it this way. What you think does not trump what you are. You can't outrun this. And as fully devoted followers of Christ, we're not free to not just to live just any old jolly life, or foolish, or un. Uh, wise way that we want to live. And if you want evidence of that, turn to Romans 6. When, when Paul writes, which we won't today, but Paul writes, he says, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And he's like, by no means. Like, How can we live in this when we've died to that life? And then if you read Romans 7, he says, but yet I'm doing the things that I don't want to do. It seems like I do them. And the things that, uh, that I'm saying, you know, that I'm going to try to do, I'm not doing And you see this internal conflict that he's having. And then he writes Romans chapter 8, but he says, however, there is the Holy Spirit. And he's doing a work in my life. And when I fix my life on him, there's life, there's peace, there's godliness. When I put my life on myself, away from the Spirit, there's death, there's brokenness, there's hurt. So Paul even points this out. Even Jesus says it to his followers. He says, his disciples, if you love me, you will sometimes obey my commands. Now that might be a new modern version. That was a joke. You see if you're listening. He says, you will obey my commands, right? But he says, "But, but what I'm saying to you won't be a burden. He says, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm actually for your greater joy, whether you realize it or not. And when I'm telling you to do something, it's not because I'm taking something from you, but really adding some things into this. Because, you know, like, I'm the maker of all things. Last week we talked about Jesus' teaching about how He's one with the Father and He's perfect in identity and will in action. and action. And if you didn't know this, you can go back and listen uh, to each week. We post audio now. We weren't doing that for a long time. And if you're on Spotify, you can follow our podcast where we'll put on, on our podcast on Spotify the audio of Wednesdays and Sundays. Or you can go to our website and if we use CastBox, which probably even has its own app as well, but you can just play it off our website, and the audio is there. And I just apologize. Last week I preached an hour and two minutes and had no idea. I think it's because you guys were just rolling with me. You know, like even my wife will usually do this. Like this is when it's time. I know it's time to close. Bible is shut. Do not say anything else to me. But even last week I saw her open her journal back up, and I was like, oh. It's cool, right? Because she hears me talk all the time. So here's what we're going to see in the passage today, and then we're going to read it. We're going to see how Jesus uses his power and authority. Because as we read this, uh, I don't know about you, I am grateful um, that I'm not the Lord, because we'd all be in trouble, right? I mean, that would just, if I could do some of the things that Jesus could do, I don't know what I'd do, but I could probably be getting a lot in trouble. How does Jesus use His power and authority? We're going to see this play out here in John chapter 6. Let's read here in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following Him. You might make note of that. Because they saw signs that He was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on a mountain, and there He sat down with His disciples. This is key here, verse 4. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Catch that. Make note of that. He knows what he's going to do, yet he's asking questions. Someone exhibits this really well is Justin Collier. He'll ask you a question, and you're like, Does he have a point? I feel like there's a point he's trying to... But he's asking me the question, Right? Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? He, he's sitting here going, okay, homeboy brought a combo meal with a few add-ons. But what is that even going to do? We're going to come back to that in a minute. Verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. Verse 12, And when they had eaten their fill, He told His disciples, gather up leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that had been done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. They have realized this is the point John wants to make. Remember in chapter 20, he said, I wrote all these things that you would believe Jesus is the Christ. And by believing in Him, you would have life. What happens when they see this? This guy is truly the prophet, the one is to be sent. And they're wanting to do this. In verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take Him by force to make Him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountains by Himself. Now verse 16 is the same day. Verse 16, when evening came, His disciples went down to the sea. Uh, John left this out, by the way. He, Jesus told them, hey, I'll catch up with y'all later on. Y'all had go ahead and go to the other side. Jesus probably didn't say y'all because He wasn't from Arkansas. But verse 17, you get the point. Got into the boat. They get into the boat. And He started across the sea of, to Capernaum. And it was now dark. And Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They were frightened. Now, just want to point out, be a pretty cool parlor trick if you could walk 20 feet. They've been out three or four miles. This is a hike, okay? Jesus is not walking temporarily on the water for visual illusions. He's taking a hike to them. Look at this in verse 20. But He said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And when they were glad, then they were glad to take Him into the boat. And immediately the boat, immediately, make note of that in your Bible. John doesn't use this word a lot. We'll talk about that. Immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. You ever just wonder, because I didn't grow up in church and I didn't have a Bible growing up, why is this in the Bible? Like, I mean, I, I, I was intrigued by this. Um, I, I always thought this was cool. But John is telling this story without some of the details. You remember Peter, if this is the same account, right? You know, the, he had some whole moments where he got to get on the water. John just doesn't bring that into the picture. Because the point being clear here, remember we talked about making note of verse 4, and if you catch verse 14, and and then you see some things that John is up to, and then you see some things that he's pulling out. And so what I'd like to do is think about this 21 verses in like an outer ring and an inner ring. Jesus has these people who are getting to know him maybe from the outside and from a distant outside. And Jesus has these people that really have gotten to know him because they're in his uh, comrade, concubine group of dudes that are just running around uh, doing life with Jesus, uh, sitting at fires, joking with each other at night, living life literally with the Maker of all things, right? Like, there's, there's a, this inner ring, And even out of that group, Jesus has Peter, James, and John who He takes to these really crazy cool encounters when He's like, hey, let's go up to this mountain. And then the, the mountain of transfiguration happens. And they're like straight up crazy blown, their minds are. They're like, well, let's just build a church here. Y'all stay here. And, and you, two, you two people that just came out of the sky. We, we, we'll have like the church in the sky, right? Like, you know, we'll just, I see this. We can market it. And Jesus is like, no, we got to leave this mountain, man. we got to go back down and we got to go minister. The kingdom is at hand. So as we understand this, verse 4, I believe, is the key to this portion. Because when the Scriptures talk about these miraculous works, it, we have to understand John's pointing out that this is a sign. And what John is wanting you to see is not the sign itself, but what the sign is pointing to. That's so good, I'll say it again. Let me rewind. John is wanting you to see not the sign, but what the sign is pointing to. This is what he's seeing here. If you look at verse 4. And so as he comes in, he, he wants to point out, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And then, you know, lifting up the eyes and seeing this large crowd that's coming, and in verse Uh, And then Jesus asking the question in verse 6. And then Philip answers just to help you feel the ethos of the moment. He says in verse 7, 200 denarii would not even be enough. And what is that equivalent to? 200 denarii. An annual wealthy person's annual salary. So he's like, dude, we couldn't even take my my pay for the year and put a dent into this crowd. And, And then as much as they're sitting there thinking about it, finally, one of the disciples, Andrew, right? My son. My son's name's Andrew. Because really, not because of this, because my middle name is Andrew. But, and I don't even know. My family wasn't Christian, so I don't really know why they named me Andrew either. But either way, Andrew here comes up with some audacity, almost like something Andy might try to attempt to do, even myself, because he's like me. Andrew brings up this sentence, and he says, hey, in verse 8, uh, in verse nine, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. He's literally speaking in faith for half of a verse. Does anybody relate to this? Anybody ever get so excited? You catch a vision of what could happen and you say it, but even as you're saying it, you catch what you're saying and how crazy it is. And so then what does he back it off with? But I mean, you know, what are they for, for so many? I can relate to this. I mean, why does he even take a kid's lunchable to even bring it to Jesus? Right? And he's like, "Because I believe he knows. We've already seen you do amazing things, and I do have some food. You just have to somehow duplicate it." Oh, that was stupid, Jesus. I'm sorry for saying that. I don't even, I don't even know why I did this. Here, kid, take your lunchable. Man, you know, just get out. Like, I can relate to this. And and does Jesus, remember, did you read in the text when we were reading? When Jesus says, Andrew, you're so stupid. That's a lunchable. Did you read that in your Bible? I didn't read it in mine. And I'm thankful for this. Because Jesus doesn't rebuke Andrew. And then, like, not only that, just calling back to verse 2, a large crowd is following him. And you have to ask these questions. This question is this, why are these people here? In this account, why is there a large crowd following Jesus? They're not really serious about following Christ as Lord. But really for what they can get from Jesus, they are intrigued by Jesus. John says, because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. And you say, well, what are you trying to get at, Lee? Lee? then I think we have to ask our questions when we think about outer rings and inner rings and understanding you might believe in Jesus. Are you a fan of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you seeking Jesus? Or are you surrendered to Jesus? Here's a question I really would say. Instead of just talking about these people, which is far long ago, long ago and far removed, let me ask you this question. Why are we gathered here today? Why are we here? I mean we, we could probably go across the room and have various reasons. Why should the church gather with people on a day like this? What is the point of all of this? Um, I like one writer. Uh, Brad Briscoe put together a book called Missional Essentials and, and, and d- several different books about on mission. And in this, he's quoting another cat who has this really weird German last name that I'm not even going to attempt. But this guy breaks it down for, for like a smart person making things simple for people like me. I'm thankful for that. And here's three views that you can see about why people gather today, whether they've even put this together or not. Number one, he talks about the Reformation heritage view. And here's what that really means. The right preaching of the word, the right administration of church ordinances like baptism and communion, and the proper exercise of church discipline. In other words, what would this look like? You've got friends that go to the church that's like this. All right? By the way, we're not this church. So if you were looking for this one, keep looking, right? Uh, so, but here's all they can say about their church. I'll tell you what, Brother Lee just preaches the word of God. That's what he does every week. He stands in that pulpit and he gets up there and he preaches the Word of God. Well, if that's all church is, I'm hoping all of us are doing it. Right? You see the, 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 you see the limitation in that? Well, like our doctrine is better. It's just right. You know, and, and how we do communion, how we do baptism. I'm picking on it because I think it's a very shallow view. Right? It's a Reformation. It's like, this is what happened. Yes, Martin Luther and those guys did bring that about, and I'm grateful for that. And it's also because it stood in dark contrast to the times that they were walking through. But number two, you get into a contemporary variation. And this is where church is seen as a place where certain things happen. Like the church is a vendor of religious goods and services, and members are customers. You're also familiar with this as well. Once again... That is not what we are trying to do. Uh, We would not see this as success. But this would look like this. You know, we sure lack, you know... We've been looking for a church to plug into, you know. We're just looking for, you know, a pastor that could spend about three or four hours a week with me, uh, a men's ministry that could do this, a women's ministry for my kid, uh, uh, for my wife, a children's ministry for the kids, and a youth program for the youth. uh, 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 Well, you know, we really also been wanting to do the bell ringing thing. We want to see if y'all are going to start one of those bell ringing ministries. We we like that. Uh, The last church we were part of had a mechanic ministry, and we didn't serve in it but you know sometimes my wife's car breaks down we we like to do that you know we did appreciate the free oil changes the church was doing every week and, and you know you, you get where i'm going right and it's just take 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 and it, that's not really surely what paul had in mind right but then there's a third version right and it would be that missionary vision where a body of people are sent on mission. And people are called and sent by God to participate in God's mission for the world. In other words, it's a church where everyone is participatory. Everyone is in on this. Nobody says, hey, bring them to Lee and let Lee reach them. I, listen, we can, I guess we could attempt to do that. but It would be much better if they actually got to know you and met Christ in you. And then there's this idea where we live, where we work, where we play. We are walking and working in the kingdom of God about the Father's business just as much as Jesus is. Uh, Here's a quote just to read. may not have to write it down, but it just says it this way better. The church still gathers in that third version, but the difference is we don't gather for our own sake, but instead for the sake of others. Or even better stated, for the sake of God's mission. We have to understand that God is a missionary God. How do we know God is a missionary God? We read texts just like this. Where he literally reaches through the heavens. Becomes incarnate in the flesh with man. Walks through them with moments of teaching. Just like this in John chapter 6. When they really... uh, Jesus wants to meet real felt needs. And they have no idea how they're going to do it. And God's like, let me show you what I can do. I find this awesome. But notice the people in this account. They've gathered for various reasons and Jesus doesn't even rebuke them. Do you find Jesus saying, like in verse 2, you know, parenthetically they add on, and Jesus was annoyed, so he decided to do something to them. No! He doesn't even tell them to leave. In fact, I believe one of the gospel writers tells about this account, and he says it this way. He's like, hey, Jesus, it's time for everyone to go home. Could you send them home? That's practical. You ever plan a party and you're like, what time should we do it? I'll tell you when we shouldn't do it, dinner. We can't feed all these people. You're right, honey. So we'll do like a birthday party for your kid. Is anybody broken? I'm just going to be honest. Can I get transparent? Let's get in my underwear drawer. So we plan birthday parties, and I'm like, well, we're going to invite a bunch of people. What time is this party? You know what I'm saying? Don't do dinner. We do 3 o'clock. We can have cake. We can do something else. And then everybody goes home and feeds themselves. And for the awkward person, which does happen in our life occasionally, that just doesn't get it, and they're like, kind of like Bob on What About Bob, and they just linger, We'll fast. Right, you know, you just never get in those moments where you want to pin it. That would have been practical here. Just send them home. You've probably taught them all day. Jesus, don't wear, don't wear us out. But Jesus doesn't do this. He actually desires to show them the way of life. And then, not only this, catch this—he as he does this sign miracles don't terminate on themselves in the Gospels. God's not trying to do like a humble brag. You know what a humble brag is? It's like when someone is saying what they can do, but they're trying to say it in a very modest way. You know, like, you know, man, I, I got a 10 mile run in yesterday and it was, it was, it was pretty cool. You know, I mean, I'm just feeling the wind and the breeze made actually the best time I've ever done. It was really cool. Hey, what did you do? I'm sorry, Peacock. I didn't know we we're having this moment. We we're going to have a little humble brag moment. I don't know. I was just, you know, reading the Bible, praying, and I uh, actually prayed for you. I probably was praying while you were on the run. That might be why you had your best time. That was good. That's what that is. That's the, that's the tennis match. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> th- 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 thanks for praying for me, man, because, like, you know, I mean, I, uh, I've been praying for you on Mondays and, uh, and doing things, you know. Oh, well, well, that's cool, man. I've actually I've been praying for you every night uh, before I go to bed, so it's the last thing I can think about is you walking in intimacy. You get what I'm doing? That People do this crap all the time. It drives me nuts. This is not what God is up to. He's not putting these parables in the Scripture so that you go, Oh, well, like Jesus, okay, so your God can turn bread into more bread and fish into more fish. That's not what these are in here for. They're in here to show you the marvelous work of God. And the biggest account of this that John's trying to point out is, is, this is the key here, verse 4, it's Passover. And for the first century Jew, it, that Passover concept, which is not going to be easy to get across to you because you're not Jewish, um, you haven't had the heritage of, of all the things that they would have, but it was about their identity, their, their nationalism, and how they understood who they were. The, Pointing out when you read the scriptures that the Bible's God's huge story of redemption, and he actually identified with a group of people to show his intimacy. He did pick a group of people of of ethnicity, and he walked with these people well. But not to say that he's not for all people, but rather to show how intimate he can be. And then later on, the story zooms out and God's obviously seeking to rescue and redeem all kinds of people because when I look across this room, I don't see just a whole bunch of full-blooded Jewish people. And so as we understand this, like, maybe I could pick some modern-day equivalents for you. Like how big uh, Passover is for the Jews. It would be like for an American, especially like a Texas American, the 4th of July. The 4th of July. You know what I'm talking about? Big trucks big flags, on poles, in the tailgates of the truck, driving down the road. It's the 4th of July, right? You're going to literally spend half of your paycheck on fireworks, or you're going to blow something up with something that's not even fireworks. Real-time dynamite stuff, right? It, It means something to them. Another one could be, Super Bowl. If you need me to break it down for you. Last week we had a Super Bowl party in the foundry with uh, a couple of our neighbors and Joel and Taylor joined up with us and we cooked some wings and tossed them in some buffalo wild wing sauce and it was really good. He's he's actually, he can cook, ladies and gentlemen. I'm proud of him. And so as we did this, um, what was funny is all of us were sitting around the circle going, none of us have watched pro football this whole year. And, like, like, and there was some girls who were like, yeah, I don't even really watch it for the football. I actually watch it for the commercials. And then like, someone even piped in and was like, I'm watching it for halftime. And I'm like, hey, right? You know, and we're all, we're all talking about it. And we're like, really, we sat there and we realized, what are we doing here? Well, it's, it's the Super Bowl, man. Uh, another one would be even more silly. Raise your hand if you're a fan of the Hawks calling the hogs how many of you didn't raise your hand when you watch us call the hogs you're like maybe we don't need to be friends after all and even me i didn't always i didn't grow up you know with with the sort of financial wherewithal that i go to hog games But when I get to go to the hog game, you got to know it's because one of my wealthier friends gave me their tickets, and it's usually on a week we're playing somebody that, you know, wasn't going to be cool to watch. But I don't care, because then I get to sit in like a press box or do something really cool, and it's a lot of fun. And so I've had some moments like this, but even when I went to the hog game, like the first time someone gave me tickets and I go to the hog game, and I would say like I'm a Probably like a bandwagon fan. Like, I'm not really a diehard. I'm not like a Joel who dreamed of going to college at UFA Fayetteville. Uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. But like, I'm a Hog fan. But even the first time I watched the stadium, call the Hogs. Even me, I had a moment where I was like, y'all, that's weird. But by halfway through the game, I'm like, yes. Ooh! You know, I mean, I mean, it's caught on to me. You have to know Passover is a big deal. And how you know it's a big deal is when you read the Gospels, John even points out there are three Passovers that John talks about here in the Gospel. This is also how we kind of identify or extrapolate how many years Jesus had His public ministry here. Um, In The first one we've read before in John chapter 2, when He goes to the temple on Passover, uh, first year of public ministry, He makes a whip of cords, (laughs) throws some tables over, Tells them all to get out. He says, My father's house. That should have showed them something because the first thing you would do in, in the feast of celebration of those Jewish people, they would get all the leaven out of their house. This is almost Jesus making it clear prophetically this is my father's house because I am the Son of God. Get out. What you're doing is not good. Then we see here in chapter 6, verse 4, and then later, which we won't turn to uh, because we'll be there one day, in John 13 1, we see that Jesus is walking into the final moments of understanding before he goes to his crucifixion. So, this is a, a thing for us that after this resurrection, though, and after this, the ascension of Jesus, the Passover celebration is taken over by the Eucharist, or communion, or Lord's Supper, or however you're used to hearing that. And we don't do Passover meals today. We actually take communion. Uh, we, uh, we celebrate in full what they were celebrating only in part. We are giving something greater. And not only that, in John chapter 5, we saw this movement of, I don't condemn y'all, Moses does. We see the movement from Moses to Jesus. And now in John chapter 6, you're seeing the movement from Passover to real communion with Christ. Slowly, this is what the fader volume is coming up. God is up to something. When even we don't see it, God is up to something. So let me throw out, what is this outer ring challenge I think Jesus is talking about? I believe He is talking about come as you are right now that our identity can be secure in him and get out of the cheap seats and into fellowship with the Lord. These guys have said Jesus, you've had this conversation with this woman at the well. Jesus, you're doing amazing things. We see a large crowd of people following you, but you know, like I know you're also wanting to meet with us. We think it's good that you know you probably get some of the people that are really on the fringes away from you, and yet Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Jesus pulls them back in, and everyone, um, we understand from the context now, who can know Christ from the outer ring, they can be filled with the Spirit of God, gifted by the Spirit, given ministries to touch the world, and fill this vacuum of wanting to be a part of something bigger than yourself. That's what the disciples are getting to see, something bigger than themselves. Let me say it this way. Professional ministry is not God's call. The priesthood of believers is God's call. And how do I know that? Well, Peter is reflecting on some things. and You don't have to turn there. Uh, I don't want to break the unspoken rule of not turning in your Bible to too many things. 2 Peter chapter 2, let me read these just a couple verses to you. Chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Uh, it may actually be First Peter because that did not look like that was what I was wanting to say. I'm sorry. Yes, uh, it's uh, not Second Peter. Uh, might be a little bit more of a judgment verse that you were wanting. First Peter, First Peter, chapter two, rather. All right, First Peter, chapter two, verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Where do you think Peter gets this stuff? One, yeah, Holy Spirit. Two, walked with the real Jesus, the old G, the OG of all OGs, right? And then, not only that, he's watched Jesus pull people from this outer ring into this marvelous work of inner intimacy and are changing the world. Exhibit A, Peter himself. Dude's straight up wild. Got a mouth. He's got anger. He's got weapons. I'm ready to ride with that dude, right? But like this guy literally is now encouraging people in 1 Peter to not give up on their faith. And how do they not give up on their faith? Because he witnessed such things as John chapter 6. What Jesus was up to is not really saying, I will always want you to watch me do ministry. Because he realizes why. He's not going to be with them forever. But rather, I'm going to equip you to do something. Can I just say it this way? My job is not to do the work of this ministry of this church. This is not the church of Lee. My job is to equip people to realize their God potential to be used by the maker of all things in a powerful way, in a way that would fill this awesome opportunity of being a part of something bigger than yourself. This is the challenge of the outer ring for me to help you see Jesus the way Jesus wanted you to see him. And if you're waiting before you will see if God can use you uh, because you feel like some things are going all whatever in your life, let me tell you something. Don't stay stuck in neutral. If you stay stuck in neutral, you may be there the rest of your life, and that's sad. Is Jesus more concerned by what we do, or is he concerned by who we are? And you say, well, isn't that like the same thing? No, I believe character is not what you do and what you say. I think it's what you are, and it shows itself in what you're doing. Let me say it this way. You know what Jesus is really doing? If I could bring this application out of this. Don't trade going to church for being the church. Amen. Thank you, Justin. Don't trade going to church for being the church. Don't miss this. Not only that, the things that we celebrate in here, are primarily done out there. I was eating burgers with the couple at a restaurant, hearing their story of redemption. And you know where their story of redemption didn't happen? In a church. Where does God's Spirit usually grab people? Usually when they're by themselves at some moment away from everyone. And then the Lord just moves in. Even Sarah's dad's testimony, he had been uh, reading this book, Uh, by some guy. Uh, One night he comes home after working at the factory and he's reading this book and then like God just moves in on him in the living room and is like, here you go buddy. There's these moments when God just works. Obviously what we're doing here is we're planting seeds, we're watering and we're nourishing, we're creating an environment, we're cultivating, we're linking hands with people. Uh, When I The reason I go to the gym is one because I don't want to do things that they make me do on my own. Probably wouldn't. I'd just cheat. I'm I'm so sore right now today from Friday. It's ridiculous. Like, I'm just going to publicly mourn with you. Like, my arms hurt to open. Um, The other day I walked in and I'm at this 3.30 class and there's this guy named Lee. He's, (laughs) right, Lee and Lee. And he's like, well, I guess you're 3.30. And I looked around the gym. It's just me. It's just me and him. I was like, this sucks because, like, I can't even hold back at all. And I'm like, then how could this get any worse? And it does. This guy who I've been getting to know, who's like chiseled out of rock, walks in the gym and he's like, hey, what's up, guys? And I'm like, no, now I've got, this. just three of us. And I literally worked out with these two guys. And so the whole time, there's no pulling back. Usually you can get like 20 people in there. And as long as I'm doing a movement, every so whatever, and like they, they got to go look at other people. Like, you know, there's just moments where I can breathe. Yet Friday, none of that. And then there is an ethics. There is a code of ethics. Like if we have five urinals and I pee in this urinal, you're not meant to stand beside me. Okay, don't do that. You need to hop over one or two urinals. Some of you men needed to hear that, okay? And that's why I'm bringing that in this sermon. Don't be the guy who takes the next urinal. Just stop. We need you to stop, okay? And so we're in this gym, and there's all these rigs in the room. All the rigs, all put. I mean, like they got the whole thing outfitted, right? Garage. And, and so my coach, he gets it. He goes over there. I'll take this bar way over here away from you. And I'm like, thank you, coach. Because at some moment, he'll have to look at the wall, and I'll be looking at this wall. Ah, peace, Right? Where does the muscled up dude go? Right beside me. All the rigs. He's right here, literally doing the pull up right. Me, can't do that yet. On rings, pulling myself up on rings. What's it like for you? That's neat that you can do that. That's awesome. I'm glad you can do this. And he's all like, one day you'll be a man. Right? I've had these moments. But can I just say something? At least I'm trying. At least I'm trying. And I think so often we think, well, I can't do this stuff that God wants to do. But I just look at you and I just say, you're not even trying. Embrace the stupidity of the moment. I feel dumb. I feel dumb having talked about it. But what we do out there is what we celebrate in here. But can I also say it this way more convicting? Is anyone else burdened that we haven't baptized somebody in two and a half years? What we celebrate in here is what we're doing out there. You get what I'm saying? So, 16 through 21, (laughs) moving forward. 16 through 21, he's he's looking at his disciples in that evening, and they've went off. And you've got to know that water to the first uh, first century Palestine Jew, um, they did not see the sea as a place of comfort. Um, They saw it as. To them a place of death of judgment and you go well, how do you know that well you look at hebrew poetic literature and if you've been coming on wednesday nights leeward would do a good job of teaching you there's waters above waters below that the psalmist writers write about and they, what are they hinting back to the time when god first judged the earth what did he use water and how much did he use well enough to flood the entire earth right so for them this is almost in their ethos so this would be like you and i living in tornado alley right which we do and how many of you had a dad like mine that when all the sirens are going off and everything else he's out on the front porch looking at the sky right everyone else is in terror we i would be in the bathroom under a mattress crying like not even knowing what to do you know, I would run around my grandma's house saying, T-Storm! T-Storm warning! You know, like I'm that kid, right? Fear, like my whole house, they showed me that Wizard of Oz movie is going to happen to me, right? They're going to take it like they took Dorothy's. And my dad, where is he? Looking at the sky. But there was a couple of times when my dad left the porch and he came inside. And that's when I know we have something serious. You have these guys. Yes, they've been on the water. Yes, they're fishermen. But what, what do we find here? They're scared. This tells you what it was really like in the moment. You have men who know when it's time to be scared. And they're scared. And here Jesus comes walking up uh, and, and just literally engaging with them. What is happening here? I believe you see an inner ring. And there's two things I want to point out about this. First of all, even those closest to Jesus will get disoriented and anxious at times. We live in a time where the media does this to us all the time. The media literally frustrates me, so I literally try to keep it at a minimum in my life. You're like, what what channels? No, no, you're not hearing me. All of it in general literally stays at an arm's length, because I feel like all it does is say, if it bleeds, it leads. Like, literally, Eminem uh, uh, bowing at the halftime show, I had a Facebook trend me in a thing and was like, look, there he is kneeling, he's not patriotic, and everything else. When he really is bowing in reverence while Tupac's song is being played, and he's remembering Tupac, and honoring Tupac. It has nothing to do with the nation. But what happens? An article says, well, we can write about that and people will click on it thousands of times and it'll trend for us and we'll be doing well. That frustrates me. That frustrates me. And, and what it creates is we now have anxiety over politics. We have anxiety that cues anger and rage. We have anxiety over, because of our culture, things of sexuality. We have anxiety over Even things like evangelism, one poll showed that modern millennial Christians like myself and those that are in the 38 range, they believe that it's ethically wrong to talk about Jesus to other people, yet fully acknowledge in the study that one of the best things they ever had happen to them was be introduced to Jesus. Did you just catch what I said? Sharing about Jesus is ethically wrong. Best thing I ever had is when somebody shared Jesus with me dude, my Jen, we're we some messed up people. But we, we get disoriented. We get anxious. Peter talks about in 1 Peter 5. He says that your enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. We need to know this. We should not suppress our anxieties, but rather bring them to Jesus. Because God's people can have that happen to them. These guys literally just watched Jesus feed oodles, there's my word, of people. Oodles of people, right? Out of a Lunchable or a Long John Silver's Combo Mill. And now, we're on the water thinking He can't save us? Like He sent you across because He wanted you to die in a boat? And that sounds like Jesus? Now, before you critique them, you'd have done it too. Before you critique them, you'd have done it too. How do I know this? Because we do that. We come to know the Lord. We are, know we've been redeemed. And then you stop getting around God's people. You stop connecting. And you're on your own and you feel lonely and isolated. And what happens? You feel disoriented, anxious. This happens. But I want you to know that Jesus doesn't rebuke them either. How does he answer them? He says, hey, it's it's I. Don't be afraid. Number two, Jesus is with us in our storms. And he will get us safely home. Verse 21, immediately, the word was used. uh, It's only used three times in this gospel. Uh, In chapter 5, verse 9, there was this man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus immediately heals him. How long did it take? Uh, I don't know. Did you blink? It just happened. In Chapter 6, verse 21. They're on the sea. Jesus gets in there and tells them, it's okay, it's me. And he gets in the boat. And the, the, you know, the waves either stop. But he, John wants to make the point, And it was like immediately they were safely on the other side. And then, chapter 8, verse 27 27 of chapter 8, the rooster crows immediately. And Peter had denied himself, denied Christ three times. And then, immediately, the rooster crows. What's John making the point here? John is making this point that literally, when God is on the move, when you look back on it, you don't get lost in how long your suffering really happened because it seems now as if God immediately took care of it. We are not promised, and this is on your notes there as well at the bottom, we are not promised a life of ease. But we are promised a life of presence. This is something I want you to see. Uh, the, the, well, Bad things don't happen to good people. Man, Romans 8.28 flies in the face of that and says, Nope, wrong, bad things do happen to God's people. Even the nation of Israel would say, we literally were led away by God into captivity for like 70 years. Like led. God told them before it happened, hey, you're going to be led away. Don't be scared. And there's that verse you'd like to quote on a Hallmark card out of context. I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, but to rescue you. To give you a hope in a future. Happy birthday. You literally just wished them into exile. To Babylon. Good job. Good job. Habakkuk. The things that I'm going to do, you wouldn't believe even if I told you. Happy anniversary. You literally just told them that God is going to send the Chaldeans to their marriage and run them over in judgment. It's a judgment verse. What am I pointing at? We have such biblical illiteracy in our day. We have no source of understanding the hope, love, and faith concept of the Scriptures. And then we think we're promised a life of ease, and life isn't easy. And Jesus says, man, I've come so that you'd, you and me you would have peace. I want to bring this parabolically home, then close the day. So it's okay to close your Bible with the story of how I think this plays out in my life. A few years ago, this was a different church. Probably actually more than a few years ago. I keep doing this uh, because I'm 38. I'm caught in this twilight zone. Um, Literally, this is 2002. Okay, It's it's, it's more than just a few years ago. Okay, it's 2002. I'm invited to breakfast. I'm 19 years old. This church is Fianna Hills Baptist Church. They had went through a church split and they were looking for a youth pastor. They had two students. They knew they couldn't pay a youth pastor. So they said, well, if you'll mow the grass, take care of the building and do youth ministry, we can pay you 150 bucks a week. I still live at home. I'm like, I could actually be full-time for 150 a week. So yes. I will do this, right? But but in this moment, I get to go to this breakfast with this pastor. And it's when um, Sarah's dad, which by the way, I'm not married to her in this moment because you know, we, she just judged me more than she should have, and didn't realize what she was passing up. And so, I go to this—I go to breakfast with this this group of older people because everyone else is at work. I'm not picking on their age; they're just old because who else can eat at nine o'clock on a Monday, right? Like everyone else is at work or doing things. And I sit down, and there's this widow right in front of me, and her name is her name is Miss Lee. And Lee looks at me, and her first thing she says to me, she says, "Hey." are you into older women? And it was that moment that I knew I would love this woman. I mean, I knew it. I was like, I was like, I mean, I, I literally went back and I was like, a sugar mama's not a bad idea, you know? And, and so we, as she chuckles and she laughs. Some of you might have known Miss Lee because over the years, she would sit kind of in the back left middle, kind of uh, back there, almost the second or third row back from the, from the very back. And she had a hearing device um, that she had to put in her ears, and the batteries would sometimes go out, and she can't hear. You, Miss lay Miss Leigh, hey, I mean, you just, I mean, she can't hear, and so, and so, she literally, when the batteries goes out, she just starts talking to the guys, and hey, hey, she's got the batteries out, the batteries, and they're like, they're like breaking down in a heart attack, trying to get her a battery, you know, and and like. People are being distracted from the sermon, and it was, it was awesome. One, one, one time, we celebrated her 90th birthday. I think it was her 90th birthday. And we had a surprise birthday party. We had like a bunch of balloons. I think we tried to get, I don't know if we got a cake with 90 candles. I don't, did we? No, it did not have 90 candles. And, and, but we, we, she'd never had a surprise before. And so we, we said, hey, well, Miss Lee, there's a fellowship after church, you know, I mean? and we all got in there before her, but she's so slow, you know, so I'm like helping her in there, and then all of a sudden we were like, surprise, and she realized the whole thing was about her, and, and I don't know about you, but in the pandemic, the person I've thought about the most is Miss Lee. Um, I went to her sister's funeral during the pandemic at the National Cemetery, And Miss Lee wasn't there. I was hoping to catch her, but she wasn't there because it was a rainy day. That she's at the age where you don't go out on rainy days, right? Like, is it raining? I ain't coming. So she's not there. And so the other day, I've been so busy, and I've had her in my heart. I've had her in my heart. I called her brother-in-law, and I'd forgotten he had actually moved up to like Ohio or something. And so she has no children. And she has no immediate family. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it really hits me. Now I know why you've prompted me, Lord. And then he tells me, yeah, she's at this Chapel Ridge. You know, it's over there by the mall. She, we thought she was going to pass away in January. Uh, but she seems to be like pulling through, like bodily-wise and things. And, and she's, just, she's had to be moved out of her place she's normally at. And I was like, man, thank you for telling me where I can find her. I, I wish I'd have called you. Earlier on, he's like, well, you know, you're on queue to do her funeral, don't you? She's like, he's, she's already paid for it and put in the deal to call you to do her funeral. And I'm like, yes, sir. Uh, well, I'd be honored to do her funeral. Oh, and another story to tell you. Years ago, just so you can understand my connection to this woman. Years ago, on a Halloween, she wore a mail-ordered bride dress. And someone tapped my shoulder, and Sarah's dad had his Bible out, Someone had a camera, and I'm still trying to find this picture. And she's in a mail-ordered broad dress standing there and grabs my hands. And we faked the marriage in the parking lot. Like, So I think I've been married twice, and I don't, I don't know. So y'all might want to dig into my, my story, whether I can be your pastor. But Monday night, my wife gives me the, the nudge of, hey, we have these leftover roses. I think you should take it to the widow's. And that's when I reached out to James and said, hey man, how's she doing? And then Monday night, I go see Miss Wanda and I go see some ladies that I normally see, but I haven't seen Lee. And I go in there and guys, it ripped my heart out of my chest because she's in a place that she can no longer go outside. And when I get down to her room, she's crying because she just wants to get out of her wheelchair into her bed and nobody... Had hurt her. And so I hear her in there moaning while I'm letting the guy kind of get her situated because I didn't want to go in there in the chaos of the moment. I wanted her to have some dignity. And then she needs a blanket and she doesn't have a blanket. And so he goes and gets her a blanket. He comes back and gives her this blanket. It's not a good blanket. And then I go in there and I see this sweet woman. And she has nothing on her walls. She has a coloring book, you know, generic coloring books and generic coloring things. And she just says, I can't go outside anymore. I'm lonely. I have nothing to do. I don't don't like living here. And and I'm, I'm like so like broken in the moment for her. I get on my knees and like she can't hear me very well. And so I'm like, Miss Lee. I understand. I'm like trying to cut her off. I love you. Uh, hey, I'm gonna, I want to pray for you. And she's still just telling me her story. Miss Lee, I want to pray for you. And finally, I'm just like, I put the rose over here and I just start praying for her. And eventually she gets what I'm doing because she stops talking. And she's just pouring out because I like think she's realizing that she whether she recognizes me yet or not, she knows she should. And so she's, she starts knowing that I'm praying, and I'm just praying. And I don't even know what to pray. So I'm like, God, I'm just asking, would you heal her enough to be able to stand and go outside and walk? I know she's old, but Lord, you could give her the strength to the end. Would you, would you be so gracious, Lord, to do this for her? Or Lord, would you just give her peace and grace, and would you call her home? And you'd say, how can you pray like that? I believe that is not to me, uh, that I wasn't without hope. Listen to me, I believe Christ in Christ all will be healed either through a miraculous work of the Spirit or in the resurrected body to come. And this woman has lived a long, long life. And she has served God's people well. She was a sweet woman. She is a sweet woman. And at the end of my prayer, she looked at me and she said, I hope God answers your prayer. Not even knowing what I'm praying, but knowing that I'm with her. And let me just tell you what what the Lord showed me in this moment. What God wants to tell us in our moments, when you're going through a storm that you don't understand, when you're disoriented and anxious, and at the end of your life, and feeling forgotten, and feeling dropped into a room where you're away from everything and everyone you've ever known, And when you're in this moment, here's what I I want Christ, Christ wants us to know. He is there. There was that moment that I could sit there with that sweetheart in Jesus and just tell her, Lee, I have found you. I love you. I will come back. This won't be the only time you'll see me. I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm going to pray for you. And, and, And yes, God will answer prayer. Because literally Jesus says to us, in our storms, He will get you safely home. He has not forgotten you. To the outer people, He says, come in. And to the inner people, He says, I am here and I will get you home. I'm thankful that I have a God that gets me home. Let's pray. Father, I pray that Whatever people needed to hear today, they've heard it. I pray that if they feel like they're on the outer ring with you, that Lord, that invitation to come in would appeal to them. That it would be satisfying enough to know that they need to, to seek in and trust and make that profession of faith and, and, and hold to their profession of faith. Lord, if for some of us, we, we know you. We've known You for some time. But we can get disoriented. We get anxious. Lord, even in our storms, when we don't understand where You are and what You're doing, You're leading us to care for one another as the body of Christ. As to show that You are with us. And Your Spirit dwelling all of us, Lord, helps us understand at times when I can't see Your hands, I can trust Your heart. That You're for me. You never will forget me. Father, I pray today that we would draw near to these promises and open up our heart and let you heal anything that needs a touch of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, if you're here and you say, Well, I've never, that invitation to come in, what does it look like? It just looks like a prayer of surrender, it looks like a prayer of confession and saying, Lord, you're enough, you're more than enough. You're perfect, you're holy, and I'm not. And I trust you. I surrender all that I have, which is nothing to you, asking you to give me eternal life. But also, Lord, I want to walk with you. Like, just tell him. I want to know you. I want to know you like the Bible says I can. If you're a believer, man, I just pray that we would let the things that grab God's heart, grab our heart, Because we have gathered here today for the sake of God's mission. And what we do in here and what we celebrate, it happens out there. And there are people who need to see the tangible kingdom of God through you. You respond as God leads. I'll be here to pray with anyone who wants me to pray. You could come to the altar and just pray. You could just do whatever the Lord leads you to do. It's your time of responding. You can just sit and listen whatever it looks like, you do whatever God leads you to do. If I'm here, I can help you. I'd love to.